You may have noticed uh, some changes in your bulletin over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's been different in the uh, format over the last couple of weeks, and I know change is hard for many of you, uh, but a uh, couple of things we're trying to accomplish with that. One is we realized that there was a lot of uh, blank space and we're filling with pictures and other things that uh, we really felt we didn't need to spend the money to print. And so uh, we're saving half a sheet of paper a week uh, per bulletin and that's uh, plus the time of, of running through the printer. Um, plus just getting it so now the, uh, I know all of you have a notebooks that you keep all the sermon notes in week after week. Um, actually I did meet someone that did that one time. Um, she found a notebook that fit, well never mind. Um, but uh, putting those on the single sheet will give you opportunity if you want to keep those notes with you and, and look those over uh, throughout the week um, as God would use those. As we've been singing this morning, if you've been paying attention, we've, we've talked a lot about the importance of our dependency being placed, not in ourselves, but our dependency being placed in the Lord. And uh, that is our theme but unfortunately, sometimes our lives look more like this. There's a lot going on in that picture. Uh, I love that picture. Um, obviously, the boat is in trouble, but don't you love the name? Uh, is that how your life feels sometimes? You ever get to that point where, you know, you want to say there's no worries, there's nothing that's going to impact me, and then it just starts piling on. It happens to all of us. We all get in those, those times when, rather by our own choices or just those things that happen, uh, life just overwhelms. Recent survey told us that three quarters of Americans experience symptoms related to stress every month. 77% uh, of people experience physical symptoms. 73% experience psychological symptoms. One-third of Americans feel that they're living with extreme stress. About half of Americans feel that their stress has increased over the past year. Money and work are the leading uh, problems, if you will, that cause stress. And, and there's more and more and more that I could read to you this morning. But bottom line is we live in a society that overwhelms us. And sometimes that overwhelming uh, influence in our society is brought on by our own decisions. Not necessarily sinful decisions or bad decisions, but just those decisions that sometimes impact what happens with our life and where we put our focus. As we've talked about these causers of stress and how we respond to stress, it's evident to me in my conversation with many of you, in my conversation with others, uh, within the body of Christ, within the church, that the situation is very much the same. That we find ourselves at times overwhelmed by this life. And that causes stress, and that stress causes all kinds of other issues. I consistently have people say to me that they're lacking peace and joy in their life. Some desire to be more involved in ministry. They'll say, Pastor, we'd love to, to serve in some way, but we just can't, uh, things are so overwhelming in our life that we can't see giving of ourselves anymore to help other people. 
Christians lose sleep. Christians worry about problems they face. Can I give you a truth this morning? This is not who God created us to be. This is not who God created us to be. We are created in the image of God. That means the character of God, the understanding of, of the characteristics of God are, are part of who we are. Now I understand theologically and, and in truth that when we sinned and, and man fell that the image of God was tainted. It, it was changed in a sense because of the sin nature. But it wasn't removed. And by an act of, of his love and grace, God, uh, through his power, allowed Jesus to die for those sins and to raise again so that those, that image of God could be restored in us. So if you are a true Christ follower this morning, if you by faith have given your heart and life to Jesus, then you are bought back, you're redeemed, you're freed from that influence of sin. Do we still sin? Yes. Are there still those issues in our life? Yes. But those aren't what we focus on. Think about this with me. If you're a Christ follower this morning, you have the hope of an eternity spent with Jesus. If you're a Christ follower this morning, you have the, the promise that God says you can live this life to the full. But yet we choose not to. And I use that word carefully. We choose not to because we allow Satan to wrap up our thinking and wrap up our, uh, our emotions and wrap up our, our sense of self-worth on what others do and say and expect. And God says, no. No, I can't allow that to continue. The Apostle Paul in his letter of instruction to his young partner Timothy gives us a solution this morning. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Now I'll warn you right up front, before I read this passage, that he recounts a lot of the problem. A lot of this section deals with some of the struggles and some of the reasons that we find ourselves in the mess that we find ourselves in emotionally and spiritually. Uh, but right in the middle of it, he gives us the hope that we can hang on to. Look at verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better, because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ to godly and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, were brought, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. As I said, we have a very hopeful and helpful message this morning. As Christ followers, we can experience godly contentment in this life when we choose to keep our lives focused on the love of Christ. It's possible. It's possible to live in peace. It's possible to live in joy. It's possible to live with contentment even in the middle of those things that happen. Father, I just ask today for uh, just an understanding of your grace. Uh, Father, we talk about that. We say we live that. But sometimes that gets uh, overshadowed. And so today, Lord, I just ask that uh, you would help us to cast off all of those things that get in the way of us understanding the peace and the hope and the joy and the contentment that you come to bring. I ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Like most in this world, we can get caught up in looking for contentment in the wrong places. I mentioned a few moments ago the number of people that talked to me about uh, not having joy in their life. And we, we tend to want to fill that, that spot, that emptiness that, that sometimes we sense. And, and oftentimes we look in the wrong places. So today Paul is teaching us to, in, in this letter to Timothy that godly contentment is not found in work and accomplishment. Godly contentment is not found in work nor accomplishment. Look at verse 1 again. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their master worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. Here we have a, a phrase that the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy about slaves. And when, I, when we talk about slaves in the first century, it's a very, very different picture than slaves that we think of from our own history. Uh, the slaves in Rome were not uh, racially motivated. It wasn't a certain group of people that were captured and, and imprisoned and, and then put into slavery. A lot of times, slavery in the first century Roman Empire was a voluntary, uh, voluntary act. If someone got themselves in deep debt, uh, they were able to work that debt off through slavery. Uh, if you wanted a good education and you were poor, you allowed yourself to be bought into slavery because slaves were educated. We have record uh, in Roman history of some of these slaves actually raising into positions of leadership within the Roman government. And so slavery, while yes, it was slavery, they were bound, but a lot of it was by choice. It was their job, it was work. And so the, the truths that we learn in this passage or what Paul is trying to show us apply, I believe, very specifically to those situations that we find ourselves in in a working environment. I don't know if this is true of all of you, but I do know that there's a lot of people that look at their jobs uh, very, very poorly. 
In other words, they, they have one of two feelings about their work. This is my chance to advance and prove who I am. This is where I find my identity. This is what I'm going to do to prove that I have value. And so they work and work and work to find themselves uh, raising up into a corporation. And oftentimes only finding that once they, they reached the top, it wasn't what they were looking for at all. Or the other extreme of that are, are people that grumble and complain and, and, and go into work, but it's a, it's a trudge and, and a, a drudgery and it's a pain. And, and scripture says neither of those are positive. Neither of those are God-honoring. What's it say in this passage? I, I don't want you to miss it. It's, it's a little bit subtle. But it says that we are to respect those in leadership over us in the workplace. That word respect goes back to what we've talk, been talking about over the last several weeks as we've looked at several different relationships. It's the word honor. We are to honor those in the workplace. We are to honor those for whom we work. Notice that all employees are to respect and honor all their employers. But Pastor Mike, you don't know the guy. You don't know what he puts me through. That, that's what Pastor Tim is saying right now. Uh, <laughs> you don't know what I deal with in my job. You don't know how mistreated I am in my job. You don't know how, uh, how bad it can get on a daily basis in my job. And I don't make enough to, to hardly support my family. How am I supposed to give respect in that setting? By choice. By choice. By saying each morning, I choose to go into this position with an attitude of respect. Respect for the individuals who have authority over me. Respect for the job that they've given me. Now, what does that do for you? If you go in with the bad attitude, if you go in with that, uh, either one of those extremes, it causes that friction. And what does that friction and that difficulty do to our contentment? It steals it. It's a trick of Satan. It's a trick of the enemy. That I can look at something that I have to do every day as draining away my contentment and my peace. You can instead look at it from God's perspective. And he said, don't look for your contentment there. But instead, go in with the attitude that you're going to do everything you can to honor and respect the situation. That means I give everything I have. In those hours that I'm employed, I give everything that I have. I show respect and deference to the person in authority over me. Doesn't matter if they're a believer or an unbeliever. I do that because God commands me to do it. Now, what's the practical outcome of that? I can gain favor with those. It's not guaranteed. This isn't a trick. But potentially, I can gain favor with those uh, with whom I work. But most importantly... God said, if, if I go into a work setting, not to find my contentment, but I go into a work setting already content, it makes my life better. My work can no longer steal my joy. My work can no longer take away the peace that God wants for me. It's a choice. We don't find our contentment in our work or accomplishment. Instead, we bring it with us. This becomes more evident when we see that godly contentment is not found in power nor influence. 
not found in power nor influence. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is taking a very firm stand against those who are seeking fulfillment from anything other than their relationship with Jesus. This group of people that he's talking about here have chosen to actually use the message of Christ to draw favor to themselves rather than to glorify God. They are changing the gospel. I want you to get the picture here. They're changing the gospel to fit their lifestyle. Instead of going to the scripture and saying, this is what, what God commands, therefore here are the changes I need to make in me. They look at the scripture and they rationalize and they say, this is, this is what I'm now going to make the scripture say so that I feel better about myself. But they're not only doing that to their own harm, they're trying to convince others to join them in that as well. And God's Holy Spirit says, no. These are not people who have been convinced of a lie and are now following that lie, such as a cult or, or another world religion. See, the Buddhists and the Muslims are wrong, but they believe that they're right. They're convinced that they're right. And so they teach and they preach and they, they uh, try to bring others into their belief system because they believe they're right. That's not who uh, Paul is talking about here. Instead, he's talking about the, the people that are perverting the gospel by changing it to meet their own expectations, their own wants and their own desires. Their motivation is always selfish, to gain influence over others for their own benefit. We've seen the destructive power of this even in our own generation. As men and women have, have weaved their way through the internet or through a television into the homes of, of many of us. And they make all kinds of outrageous promises, all based on it. If you have enough faith and you send enough money, these things will be provided for you. Recently saw a TV preacher that was raising funds for a Learjet so he could get to his speaking engagements. I drive a 2004 Chevy. Just hit 282,000 miles. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about what is the gospel for? And those who pervert the gospel to try and, and, and bring in their own gain and try and make their lives better. Uh, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, said, no, no, don't do that. Because these people are twisting the gospel for their own purpose. They cause division, and they rob people of the truth. What a crash when, when we realize that what the promises that have been given aren't about what benefits us, but it benefits them. So the application for you and me is simply to be watchful and avoid those people, right? Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But we cannot stop there. 
all of us need to, uh, to be protected against Satan's temptation for us to do the same thing. You say, Pastor Mike, I don't have that platform. I don't, don't lead a lot of people. Well, it's not about that. His warning here uh, comes very, very practically right down into my heart. And it says any time that we do something uh, and change the truth of the Word of God to fit our own lifestyle or to, to make us feel better about our choices, we've been guilty of the exact same thing. Has Satan ever said to you, you know, it's been a tough week. I think Sunday morning's a good time to catch up on your week. When God says, do not neglect the gathering yourselves together. Has Satan ever said to you, the government doesn't deserve all that they're asking for. You need to hedge just a little bit on your taxes. When the scripture says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Has Satan ever said to you, the, the, the preacher's responsible for my neighbors that don't know Christ. That's not my job. When the scriptures say, go into the world and make disciples. When we neglect the truth, when we neglect the opportunities that God gives us through his word to make a difference in how we live this life, we forfeit our own contentment. When we try to, to change the word of God to fit who we are, we forfeit our own contentment. Because at the end of that road, what do we find? We find it's empty. Satan's lie is empty. It always will be. I want to end on the obedience discussion, which is uh, in verses 6 to 8. So we're going to skip over that, and, we're, and, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. But here we're going to look at that last warning that the apostle gives when he teaches that godly contentment is not found in possessions nor wealth. Look at verse 9 with me. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is one of the most misquoted and misunderstood um, sections of scripture, I believe. It is not saying that money is evil. It is not saying that people who have accumulated uh, things are evil. What it is saying is that the love of those things is evil. In other words, what we give our attention to, what is most important to us, what are those things that, that we love above other things? And if we love the pursuit of things or we love the, the pursuit of money more than and over the, the, the love that we have for that relationship with Christ, he says, you're in trouble. That's problematic. I talked about that empty spot a few moments ago. We were created in the image of God and sin tainted that image and when it did, it, it longed, our spirits longed to have that image restored and that emptiness that we, we want to have restored in us that can only be filled by Christ. We try to fill with other things. We've talked about that before. And here he says when we, we do that and we show that, that love and that affection, trying to fill that contentment with stuff, we get ourselves in trouble. Here's a simple truth. It's very practical. The more time and energy we spend 
and trying to, to find contentment through stuff and try to find contentment through the accumulation of stuff. The more time and energy we spend on that, the less time and energy we have available to seek Christ and his kingdom. And so just by default, we're going to fail in finding that contentment that we are looking for. The test to measure for falling into such a trap is to ask yourself this simple question. How much peace do I have in my life? How much joy do I have in my life? In my humble opinion, worry is one of Satan's most crippling weapons in the life of a believer. I don't know what you worry about. Will I have enough to retire? What if I lose my job? What, what am I going to do with this health issue that I'm dealing with? The, the, the list is endless based on your own experience. But if I get into trying to solve those problems first and worrying about how I'm going to, to meet needs that I don't even know exist yet. Satan's been successful in robbing me of joy. Matthew chapter 6 says, what Jesus says, that when we worry, we're declaring that God is unable to take care of us. When we worry, we're, we're, it's as much as looking God in the face and saying, you have no value. You're not who you said you are. You're powerless to, to fulfill my need. So instead of going to you, God, and allowing you to do what you've promised to do, and by the way, he always comes through. But instead of doing that, I'm going to choose, there's that word again, I'm going to choose to worry. I'm going to choose to fret. I'm going to choose to, to try and figure this out on my own. What happens to joy and contentment in that situation? It's gone. It's gone. We have no option for it in our life. Two things that I believe this teaches us. Worry is very, very dangerous. Worry is very dangerous. Secondly, I believe that worry is sin. Again, we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. Have my things or the lack of those things become more important to me than God's role in my life. By the way, this isn't a conversation just for those who don't have much, nor is this a conversation for those, uh, just those who, who have a lot. Because Satan is very, very tricky. And no matter what we have, he can convince us that we need something different. He can convince us that we need something more. And when we get caught up in that, and when we pursue that, even in very subtle ways, we miss out on what God intends for us to be. When I look at my calendar and how I spend my time, how much of it goes to activity obeying God's plan compared to meeting those temporal needs and those wants, Remember, God's not against stuff. He's not against us having stuff. He just wants to be sure that stuff doesn't take priority in our lives. And that's the spot he wants to hold, that, that first place. A quick scan, a quick look back over our past week, 
will tell us where our heart is in this issue. It'll tell us where our priorities are in this issue. If I look back over my last week and I, I can't identify times that I set aside to spend with my Lord, if I can't set, find times that, that I've set aside just to seek His righteousness and to, to make sure that He and I are, are in this conversation, if I can't find that as a priority, then I'm looking for contentment in the wrong place. And you say, Pastor, but you don't know all the stuff that people pile on and all the, the expectations. The word is choice. The word is choice. To say yes to one thing means we say no to another. And that is our choice. This brings us to the hope of this passage. Godly contentment is found in godliness. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The Apostle Paul is reminding his friend Timothy, and through him, you and I today, of a very familiar truth. We can't take it with us. In other words, if we want true contentment, if we want true peace and joy every moment of every day, we need to make that choice. By the way, I'm going to encourage you to, to, to kind of test your thinking. If you're sitting there and thinking, oh, Pastor Mike, those are good Bible words. Those are, are good things that, that others probably need to hear today. I want, I want to challenge you to just stop. And just turn inward for a moment because this is important truth for each one of us. And it's something that can be achieved, but only if we want it more than we want things in this world. I've used this story probably many times before, but it so illustrates the truth that Jesus is trying to teach, uh, his spirit is trying to teach us this morning. There's a story of a master who had these students that he was teaching the, the truth of God's presence and the, the desire for God's heart. And, and a student came to him and said, uh, what does it mean to, to desire God more than anything else? And he invited the student to, to walk down into the river with him and, and he took the student and he plunged his head under the water and he held it there. And then in a moment, he let the student up, and, and he's gasping and, and coughing, and the moment he catches his breath, right back down he goes. And the teacher does this three or four times, and, and the student comes up and says, what are, what are you doing? And the teacher looked him in the eye and said this, when you want God in your life more than you want air, you understand this truth. Because even, I'm not being facetious here, but even air is useless to us in eternity. But God will be there forever and ever. So our, all our, our alternative to all of these things in our search for contentment is to sim simply, excuse me, simply seek Jesus. He is the source of all joy. His joy will not only be genuine in this life, but will last forever. 
This is the secret of true contentment. This is the secret of that fulfillment and peace and joy that, that so many are seeking. And it's available freely to every one of us. The joy expected from the time and resources needed in pursuit of those things that this world offers just isn't there. Let's be honest. Those things that we seek, uh, any of those, uh, the, the power, the, the uh, accomplishment, the money, whatever those things we've already talked about, there, there is a, a temporary pleasure in those. I mean, you can find a time where, where you say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right now. And maybe even fool yourself into thinking that's enough. But fast forward 50 or, or 80 years. And Jesus said, seek me first because those things are going to be gone. As fulfilling as they may seem now, they're going to be gone. And, and at that moment when we stand before Christ in eternity, all of those things won't count for anything. God's simple formula is to pursue godliness ahead of everything else. And in that we are guaranteed, we are guaranteed contentment. The words of Jesus in Matthew 6 are vital to us here. I'm going to have uh, Wes put those up on the screen for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and following. Familiar to many of you. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you the truth, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these? If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus doesn't say we can't enjoy the stuff available to us in this life. He does say our contentment and peace, even when we have these things, are still dependent on our focus on him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's an order. Seek first. That word first is chronological. It's what we do before we do anything else. But it's also a, a, an indication of importance. Seek first chronologically, but, but most important over all, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added. Does it mean that we, could, we just sit in our... our, our Betterman read the word of God all day and then he'll just deliver food and that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our priorities. What is it that's most important? What do I want more than I want air? What do I want more than I want anything in this life? And if it's Jesus, 
if it's that relationship with him and that closeness with him he says all these other things take on a different perspective and they they, they lose importance and you understand what true joy and true peace is all about and he wants that for us so badly God's desire is that we learn to live with joy and peace as part of his kingdom here on earth. These are foundational pieces of true contentment. The key to acquiring this level of godly contentment is nowhere to look. Achieving this contentment is what Jesus was offering when he taught us to first seek him and his righteousness and allow him to do the other things that need to be done in our lives. So the question is, do we hang on to the stuff of this world which will all become worthless to us? Or do we choose to commit every ounce of our being to the pursuit of godliness, which is eternal and the source of our joy? I'm going to encourage you to stand with me, if you will. I'm going to ask you to just quietly bow your head with me. Father, I just ask today, through the power of your spirit, that you would impress the truth of your word on our hearts. God, you'd never, ever do anything in error. And I believe that the truth of this message was important to me this week. Lord, life can get overwhelming. And the struggles of this life can get overwhelming the loss of, of people we love and the illness of people we love and the financial setbacks and all of those things that impact us. Father, can, can rob our joy until we realize that our joy is not wrapped up in those things but wrapped up in you. Father, I just ask for my brothers and sisters standing with me today that you would impress that in a new and a fresh way. And Lord, if there are those struggling today that, that have, have looked in the wrong place and have failed to find that joy that's just from you. And maybe there's even a fear, Father, of, of stepping out on faith and, and moving away from all of those things that we've been pursuing and just put faith and trust in you. And, and Lord, I just pray against that fear today. I just ask that the power of your Holy Spirit have freedom to change our hearts and thus change our lives. I'm going to give you just a moment to, of silence here to pray. And I want you to, to just ask God's Holy Spirit a simple question. Am I seeking my contentment in Jesus alone? Is there anything else that's gotten in the way? Is there any, any of those things that we talked about or maybe some that we didn't this morning that it have, have so overwhelmed me that I've lost sight of my true joy and my true contentment in this life? And if his spirit, and he will, if his spirit reveals those to you, just confess those before him. And say, God, I want those out of my life. And I want to transform my life to seeking you in your kingdom. Just pray that prayer silently.
you pray that prayer and you say, Pastor Mike, I, I just want you to pray along with me this week that God will just affirm that in my life and strengthen me in that and that my commitment will stand strong and Satan won't be able to rise against that and snatch that away from me. If you've prayed that prayer and you'd like me to just to be praying with you this week, just lift your hand where you're at. Yep, others. Yes, thank you. Others? Yep, thank you. Thank you. God, you're so good. And you do such good things. And so I praise you today for the work that you've done in the body of Christ. Send us now excited. Lord, send us in joy and in peace uh, just to make a difference in this kingdom uh, that is yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.